This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hi, David. Hey. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Good. <laughs> David forgot who he was. Surprised me. I didn't know we were doing this. I just, I just thought we were just on a Zoom call together. I didn't yeah, know. There we go. And uh, and our old buddy Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you? Well, hello, fellas. <laughs> Evan's acting surprised too. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's well, I am because it's been a while since we've all been together. It's for what's what has it been since like uh, 64, 65? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it, summer 65. Yeah, that's beautiful. That was a great year. I, I loved it. Was that the summer of love? I guess that was a little after the summer of love, wasn't it? No, I think that's a little before summer of love. <laughs> um, but you know, but who's who's counting? Um, all right, well, we've had a we've had a tumultuous, uh, you know, little uh, I, I don't know return to to sports here in the fall with things that you wouldn't have exactly predicted. Uh, we might have predicted that the Rangers wouldn't be any good, uh, even though I thought that they could they could contend with the with the starting rotation. Um, the hockey team had not played that well uh, before it got in the bubble, and now the hockey team is is headed to the Stanley Cup final. Unbelievable. Uh, first time in uh, 20 years. Uh, that is an unbelievable feat. Uh, I, I'm, I'm nominating Jim Neal as the best GM in the market. Uh, not uh, Probably not a lot of competition for that right now. Uh, maybe Donnie Nelson would be it. Uh, Donnie's still a couple of players short of having a title contender. And, but Jim Neal is right there. Uh, and he's overcome a lot to get to this point. Um, Kind of had a, an owner that uh, climbed all over him and went straight to uh, to Jim Lights and had him scream at uh, some of his players, and and then he's lost his starting goalie and got with the backup goalie, and uh, and that's all worked out perfectly. Uh, lost his lost his head coach who got in a, into a, a foolish thing and got himself fired, uh, and, the, and now the uh, the interim coach is uh, going to be coaching in the Stanley Cup final. So. The stars are a pretty remarkable story. It's it's too bad that none of us can speak authoritatively enough about hockey to really talk about uh, all this. Uh, I have fun watching them. You know, they're 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 a fun team to watch. Uh, I know that. It, I think it speaks volumes for uh, where where we are. Um, that wasn't it the great late dear Frank Luxa, whose hockey theory was put the fat guy in goal. <laughs> the fat, the biggest guy you can get. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Put a sumo wrestler and go. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much our expertise. No, no. Tim Callishaw, he knows his hockey. Uh, I, I remember the time that that Tim wrote a column during the Stanley Cup days, 
in which he spelled out who was going to get a game-winning goal with the first letter of each paragraph spelled out the player's name, and you had to go back and figure it out. It was Mike Keene, and he was actually right. What what inspired him to do that is beyond me. Why why you would want to do that and how you would guess that, and then to be rewarded for it, I credit that with the over-super-inflated ego that Tim now has. That one column is what did it. No, I think it's an accumulative effect as far as his ego. I don't think it's any one thing with them. I was, uh, you know, I just let that softball right up there for you, didn't I, David? <laughs> didn't I, David? Oh man. Uh, so anyway, well, on another, the- on another note, real, real, real quickly on the stars, when, when you have a run like this, normally you expect it to give you an increase in popularity in ticket sales and entrenching yourself in an area. Is that minimized because of the times we're in and the fact fans aren't going to be able to partake in this experience? Let's take this out and say they're the, the Stanley Cup champions. Do you, do you get the normal bump a franchise normally would after that when you win it in this environment? Well, I think I think you would. I, I think you'd get a bump um, afterwards. I, I think the question for me is more like, more along the lines is: Is it more enjoyable for this fan for this set of fans because of how crazy this year has been and how difficult it's been, and that they've gotten this 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 gift of a Stanley Cup final? in the midst of this pandemic or is it less significant to them basically because they couldn't because you can't take part in person and you feel you're missing out their most loyal i mean this may expand their base but their most loyal fan base doesn't get to experience on the emotional level they normally would and i I don't know how i don't know how you weigh that um but i i I mean that's the the thing that I, i was thinking about last night is Will it mean more to people or will it mean less if they win this Stanley Cup? And, and I guess for, for, for the general population or the casual fan, it'll obviously mean a lot. And, and maybe for the, the, the fan who really understands playoff hockey and the atmosphere of playoff hockey, they will feel somewhat bittersweet that they were not allowed that opportunity to, to witness it in person. I would, I would yeah, and I think there's some – to that, but I think we can't overstate the fact that you only, you're only putting 20,000 people in that uh, arena at a time, okay? There, there are more than 20,000 hockey fans in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So uh, the great majority of their fans probably never go to a game. You know, they may occasionally go to one, but almost never go to one. So I, I don't think we can take away too much from that. I, I think, to me, it's, it's more of an esoteric question of what is it like to win a Stanley Cup or to get to a Stanley Cup final or to win it in front of nobody. I mean, what does that feel like? Do the, how do the players react? I mean, I, I'm watching these players' reactions now. And, and of course, you know, we, we, we know what some of the people have said. We know what, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paul George said about how he was bummed out by the bubble, right? You know, and he was in a funk, and that's why he wasn't playing very well. Uh, I don't know how much of that has is going on in, in these two different sports as they both play in a bubble. Uh, if, if you watch the guys when they when they 
uh, in the midst of play, they seem to be enjoying it mightily. You know, they, they seem to be having a great time. I think the thing that you look back on is that anytime you've seen a great moment in sports, it always incorporates the fans. You know, when we, when we see these, uh, I, I think back to the statue that's out in front of, uh, of uh, Globe Life Field is of, uh, you know, Benji Molina and Neftali Feliz embracing. And when you see that picture, it's, it's a great moment, but behind that picture that was taken that ran the Dallas Morning News was the sheer volume of fans standing and applauding, you know, and you saw that in the background. And, that, and that's part of what did make that moment so great was, was all the fans being there. I think that's, that's something for the players. I think that they, they, they're kind of retracing their roots now going back to when they were playing Little League and there's 12 parents in the stands, you know, and, they're, and they certainly enjoyed all that. Uh, but it was a different animal when they got to the big leagues and, and, and all of a sudden now we have, you know, tens of thousands of people out there cheering for us. So I, I, I think the thing that is in the NHL's favor and is also the NBA's favor is that even though they played in the bubble, they did play almost full seasons. You know, uh, I think baseball is the one that's kind of out to lunch this year in a championship format because they, they only played 60 games. So how much is it? How much did this really mean just because of that? I agree uh, that baseball is out to lunch this year. They're out to lunch permanently. Permanently. <laughs> well, they could be. They could be. But anyway, it's a uh, yeah, it's very it's a very uh, exciting time for stars. And I, I kind of subscribe to the feeling like. As bad as everything is, the fact that this team is now going to be in the Stanley Cup final for a lot of sports fans, this is a this is a, a really good thing here in this market because because frankly, you know, of course the Mavericks, you know, are, are out and uh, and the Rangers are out and the, and the Cowboys after that start, uh, I was and, and listen, we all know it's one loss. It's a loss on the road. It's a loss to a good team. This is not an ender. You know, they lost by three points. It just, it was not an inspiring first game. So uh, I, I think that that's, uh, I think all of those things combined is going to make more hockey fans. I know it made a, it made a hockey fan out of my son that we were watching the game together last night. So I, I think that this, uh, it'll be good for, it'll be good for hockey in Dallas in the long run. We'll see if, uh, if the Cowboys are going to be good for football uh, in, uh, in this market. In the, long the long run. run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the Cowboys game. Uh, so uh, boy, there were a lot of things about that game that really gave me pause. I was really thinking, and I, of course, wrote this like an idiot, that uh, this team has come a long way since uh, it lost in the Coliseum to the Rams. Uh, and, uh, and, and I wasn't even basing it on what happened at Jerry World last year when they just pummeled the Rams. Um, I said that this was a different kind of team, different kind of head coach, will make different decisions. Uh, and I thought that the personnel was better. And then the game happened, uh, and it's like, wow, this looks like the, the Rams game all – this looks like the Coliseum playoff game all over again. Uh, they, 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 it, it doesn't seem like the Rams are doing anything really unconventional, uh, and, the, and the Cowboys have no clue what they're doing. Most of that game, I couldn't even – you couldn't see a defensive back within range of the camera covering somebody. Every time Jerry Goff threw to somebody, that guy was pretty much wide open. 
Uh, I thought that Trayvon Diggs was the best defense, the Cowboys' best defensive back. At least he was close to people when when they were throwing him. And so that was that was disheartening to watch. It was disheartening to watch the defensive line get pushed back. Uh, the I know that that uh, you know uh, Mike McCarthy said he thought that Jalen Smith played a good game. I didn't see that. I didn't see the linebackers any of the linebackers play a good game even before Leighton Vander Esch got hurt. Uh, and then that's a that's a practically a cataclysmic blow to lose him at linebacker, much less Blake Jarwin, who uh, had really shown some potential last year. He made a really nice catch early in that game and then blew out his knee. I guess he's lost for the season. Uh, these, are, these are not good developments for the Cowboys going forward. Oh, they, uh, and this was a little reminiscent of the playoff game in that – while the Rams didn't have two 100-yard rushers. I mean, they just pounded them on the ground. Uh, and But if you remember, that defense was a Rod Marinelli defense that was undersized up front. And if you could pound them between the tackles, that's how you would manage that defense. This defense went out and got Dontari Poe. It wants a little bit more size at tackle. They got Gerald McCoy before he was lost for the season. Uh, it's a different defensive approach. They get size in there, so you can't run up the middle and, you know, they flood you with the, with the pass rush on the edge. Uh, it didn't work out. They, they ran. Uh, they ran so much, they took away. Uh, look, you know, that is, that is – here's the other thing. That, that is not a particularly acclaimed offensive line for the L.A. Rams. That's the question mark. And uh, – um, you know, before the game, talking to the, the few members of the media that were there uh, uh, and uh, from L.A., uh, they felt the Rams would lose in part because their line just was not good. Uh, they felt that Dallas's pressure would wear them down over the course of the game. Uh, the Rams offensively didn't allow that to happen because they ran the ball well enough and they did a lot of quick drops. And, and as you said, uh, their guys were open. Uh, the, the secondary, the back end has to do a better job. So what happened was defensively, uh, the Rams ran the ball well enough. And when they did pass, they got it qu out quickly enough where the pass rush, the Dallas pass rush was neutralized by and large. And the secondary wasn't in position to make plays or, or shut anything down. So, um, yeah, you, you knew the secondary – was the weakest part of this defense going in, but um, the, the front seven didn't have the impact you would envisioned uh, they would need to have for this group to be successful in that game. And like you, it's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just Mike McCarthy uh, yesterday, the day after the game, it was also Mike Nolan saying that he, he thought that uh, Jalen Smith graded out very well and had a very good game. It did not appear that way from, from uh, watching the game that Jalen Smith had a particularly good game. Oh, that, and that was the thing that, uh, you know, I really felt like that this defense was going to do was, was, you know, it had a potential to do besides, you know, having guys up front, as you said, to, to handle that load better, um, was that the linebackers took a big step back last year. Uh, and they just looked like they got caught up in the wash all the time, as, they, as we like to say now. And, and that just seemed to be the case uh, uh, Sunday. I, you know, 
I, 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 Vander Esch probably got himself hurt on the play that I'm thinking of. It was uh, down at the goal line. He made a, He came up in the hole and made a stop on Malcolm Brown. Um, it kind of dislodged him a little bit. He kind of fell to the side. It was a good stop. It was a good solid stop. And I think that's probably when he broke his collarbone. Uh, but you just didn't see that kind of play. You didn't see the kind of play where, you know, yeah, he's making tackles after a guy's made a five or six or seven or eight yard carry. I, I'm not counting that as, as a good play. You can rack up a lot of tackles like that. I'm counting a play where you, where you stuff the play, where you, you, you make the read on the play, you step up in the hole, you make the stop. There was none of that in that game. You know, they were the, the you know, they were, the Rams were constantly in second and two, you know, there, that yeah. was, you know, and, and that's what I will say this, Alden Smith played a phenomenal game. Uh, I thought he was the best player. Yeah. He was the best defensive player. Uh, for after five years of being off, five years without playing a game, he comes back and plays at a Pro Bowl level. That was that was phenomenal. I mean, he he made constant pressure. Yeah, he made two almost you know game changing plays. One was the sack uh, of Jared Goff that 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 really bailed him out, and one was where he hit him in the head and knocked his helmet around, spun his helmet around, and it resulted in the interception by Shadobe Uzier. You know, he single handedly kept them in that game. Uh, on defense, uh, and, uh, and you just didn't see that from anybody else. Demarcus Lawrence had one tackle and one pass deflected, and that's and that's an, another disturbing uh, development. How can that be after the year he had last year, where he where he underperformed? Now, now I know that he does a lot of things and does them really well, but one of the things he's supposed to be doing well is stopping the run. So he didn't stop anything. You know, I I understand the lack of of a pass rush. Because when you're getting the ball out in two seconds, it's it's impossible to get to the quarterback, and that's what the Rams were doing. They were getting the ball out. It was it was, it was kind of a, a Patriots like offense, you know. That was always the thing with, uh, you know, the Patriots uh, in their heyday were getting the ball out under two seconds, uh, making making the pre-snap reads and delivering the ball, and that's why Tom Brady was so successful. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it was. And as bad as all that was, uh, at least we can say we know the defense is not the uh, highlight of this Cowboys team. The highlight is supposed to be its offense. Uh, and I was stunned uh, at uh, what they did yesterday. It looked so much like a, a vintage Jason Garrett team. We're going to give the ball to Zeke Elliott. We're going to pound them, and, and we're going to run, and this is what we're going to do. And it was like all the talk about these three great wide receivers that we have now. And there was not one, you know, there was one throw downfield that was negated on a bad call uh, on the penalty against Michael Gallup. Um, but, and I, you know, when you're watching it on TV, as I was, you, you know, you don't get to see the full field. You can't tell what exactly what the defense is doing. I assume, you know, everybody plays with a safety over the top these days. No one wants anybody to be throwing deep on you, but you know what? Occasionally you have to do that. Uh, you have to try to stretch the field a little bit. There's simply no way you're going to go up and down this field scoring touchdowns by uh, turning around and sticking it in Zeke Elliott's stomach. Well, and that's where that is the benefit of a good run game. If you're going to run, it's to establish the fact that you can get the ball deep because you're forcing the defense to crowd and, and uh, you know, uh, take into account the run. So if you're running it that much, you need to be able to exploit the defense deep. And they didn't do that. You saw much more. Um, it was a lot of what Garrett did, but it was different. I would say the, I, I thought the pace, offensive pace was really fast. It seemed like both teams were in a two minute offense like the entire game. Um, 
And I mean, I know I was trying to tweet a play and I'd look up and it'll be, it'll already be two plays beyond, you know, I mean, they were, they were going fast and it was, and they didn't let up. It was the whole game. And, but I, I think you saw, you saw some more elements of what McCarthy wants to do. It, it was more West coast influence. There was a lot more of the crossing patterns, those mesh patterns. In fact, on that fourth and three, it was a, it was a, it was a drag or a, or what they call a mesh route where you just cross underneath and, and it's run after catch and it's, uh, not everything is vertical. It's a lot. It's more east-west. Uh, I think you saw more of those routes uh, in the route tree than you have uh, with Garrett. But um, you know, it's going to take a little time because they're meshing two offenses here, and he wanted to. McCarthy certainly has his principles, but he didn't want to give too much too quickly. Uh, I mean, this team was number one in offense last year, uh, number six in scoring. So they, they were, they've had success in the system, and you just don't want to rip that system apart and start over, especially when you didn't have a, a traditional offseason or training camp or preseason. So um, now that's not to say they shouldn't be effective with who they have offensively. Um, but, you know, I, I would say they're, they're actually, I think, were some encouraging things for Dallas coming out of that. You didn't have pre-snap penalties as, as quick as the, as the pace was, at least offensively. You did yeah, it you did you did three on times on defense, which, uh, <laughs> of course, I guess it was the crowd noise is why the Dallas defensive yeah. line was jumping because they couldn't hear the snap count. But, I thought Michael uh, Bennett was back. <laughs> exactly. That was their homage to him uh, yeah. in, in, in that <laughs> first game. But uh, – and, and, again, there's a fine line here because what was one of the narratives going in – Oh well, look at what McCarthy's done with running backs. Is is Elliott going to get lost in this thing? And now after one week, like you're and other people are going, well, I mean, you know, he seemed to be involved a lot. I didn't see, you know, what about the passing game? What about that? Uh, but to me, the bottom line was the the disturbing thing was they were just so inefficient on third down again. Um, you know, I believe Dak Prescott was one of, I believe he was one of seven for 12 yards on third down in that game. Now, they were some longer third downs, and that, that's going to impact your effectiveness. But that is, that, is a, that, that is not going to win you many games. In fact, that usually doesn't keep you within three points when you're that inefficient on third down. So, you know, that was a pattern that developed last year, their inefficiency on third down. Another one, and you saw it play out in this game, was – since the start of the 2019 season, Dallas is now one and seven in one score games. Mm. So they're playing close games, but they're losing them. And the only team in the league who is worse since the start of the 2019 season in one score games is Cincinnati and they're 0 and 9. So that is, that is something Dallas is going to have to improve on as the season goes on. And uh, that's where this game had a repetitive feel to it. So let's discuss uh, the elephant in the room is the, uh, the question, of course, of whether the, uh, the Cowboys should have gone for it on, uh, on fourth down or not. With the, on the fourth and three uh, at the 11-yard line with a little less than 12 minutes left in the game, the Cowboys elected to, to go for it, and then they ran the drag route to C.D. Lamb. Uh, he ran it a little shallow. Uh, you know, it always drives me crazy when receivers don't get the, the yardage they need. Uh, they don't get to the sticks. 
you know, first. That's the thing they have to know. I will say it, it didn't help matters any that Dak underthrew him a little bit. For whatever reason, that was the thing I noticed in this game uh, was that uh, I thought Dak threw the ball fairly well. I thought the, the throw where he rolled his left and made to, see, uh, made to uh, Amari Cooper uh, was a yeah. phenomenal throw. Uh, to be able to make that throw running to your left, it was perfect. I thought when it was, I'm watching it on TV, I watched the ball go over a receiver's head, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he overthrew that guy by 15 yards, and then, it's, and then there's Cooper coming over to make the catch. Uh, phenomenal throw. The throw to Gallup at the end of the game was a phenomenal outstanding. throw. Yes. It was an outstanding mm-hmm. throw. It was probably, and, that, and that is a terrible play. Uh, it was a terrible call for a ref to make that. That's unbelievable acting by Jalen Ramsey to actually pull it kind of pull up he's still he's still running with him but he's pulling up at the same time just to throw this big flop act into the thing but the Cowboys really can't complain about that too much because of the of the play earlier that I mentioned where Alden Smith slapped uh Jerry Goff in the helmet that should have been a hit to the head and that's a first down who knows where that goes yep, on that, drive. that interception yeah mm-hmm. erases that interception so you really can't complain too much about that but it, it seemed like when Dak was having to dump a pass off in that game several Several times he threw at a guy's feet. Uh, one time he threw a Mark. Now Amari Cooper was not looking. What's that? I thought we were talking about the field goal. Well, we're we're leading back? up to it, Evan. We're getting there. Hold on. So the context of the game, Evan. Come context on. of the game, because so because look, because here was the problem for me on the fourth down and not Obviously, I thought they should have gone ahead and kicked the field goal. Uh, to me, at that point in the game, uh, is is still early enough in the fourth quarter. That if if we if we kick the field goal here, we got 12 minutes left in the game. That's at least two more possessions for us, probably. If we if our defense can hold here, if the trend of the game is coming along as it is now, and more time to do something, we but we have to get ourselves back to even here at this point. And when you when they went when on a third and six, when you hand the ball off to Zeke Elliott running it up the middle, that's it seems to me, I guess I should have seen it coming. You're saying, okay, we're going to go, this is four down territory for us because we didn't even really try to get it on third down, you know, by, by doing that. Uh, and of course, at that point, you're all. You might think that he's running the ball into the middle of the field to just make the field goal attempt, you know, that much. That's be- what I thought. When I saw that play to Elliott, that's what I thought. They're just positioning at the middle of the field for the field goal. So see this. I mean, when you get right down to when you get right down to the field goal, I know we'll have a discussion about analytics and everything here. You tie that game at that point in time. You've got 11 and a half minutes to go, and the question is, can you beat the LA Rams for 11 minutes on their home field? Can you win an 11 minute game at that point in time? And I don't know why you wouldn't take that chance. I don't either. Well, you know, you, the thing was is, and I don't understand. And Dave, we're, we're we're kind of very veering off of the whole discussion about kicking the field goal. Is that you were up fourteen to thirteen at the half on the strength of a really strong second quarter from Dak Prescott. Uh, he threw the ball really well. You're throwing the ball around the field. Uh, you know, I I always feel like Dak is better in a two minute drill. Uh, he he just seems to play better. He he seems to throw the ball better. He, he just seems to get in a rhythm. And this in the second half, he he was not in a rhythm at all. And I think a lot of that is because they ran the ball so much. They ran the ball on first down so much. Now we, we, we talk about, uh, we're going to talk about analytics now. And, uh, and one of the issues was here is Michael Gelkin, uh, one of our colleagues uh, talked to uh, a representative at pro football focus, which is a, uh, an institution that I, I really respect. And I like the things that they do and they, and they, and they're able to, 
to grade players' performances and tell you how well somebody's really playing. These are I'm I'm a you know I, I can't even balance my checkbook, but I'm a fan of numbers. I, I I appreciate people who can who can do numbers and tell us this is what this means. You know this is all great. What, what is the check what? Yeah, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> uh, so you heard of online banking, Kevin? We do online banking. Well, actually, we don't. Debbie, you know, I don't even do the checkbook. Debbie took it away from me. Why don't you, know? you look, just Venmo? Are you part of the Venmo crowd? I don't know Venmo much, you know. But she, Debbie, finally has got most of our checks do a thing where we automatically debit stuff. But but still, you know, she took it away from me. I don't want to comment on why that was. But anyway, <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, your account number, and I'll take a look at it. Yeah, sure, sure thing. Uh, and I know that the numbers, and Michael Gelkin said that they say, oh, yeah, that this, the numbers say this is what you should have done. I'm glad he did this, that, that, and he should be encouraged to do this from now on. And essentially, forget kickers, kick them off your team. You don't need a kicker. You should go for it every time. Uh, I, he didn't say that, but, I, you know, essentially that's what you're saying. And I guess I could, you know, I understand what he's saying there. My, my problem with that is that, the way the Cowboys were playing that game, certainly in the second half, uh, what makes you think that they were were uh, using analytics? There was no, there were no analytics involved in any of that. There was no, there was no throwing the ball downfield. There was, you know, McCarthy was saying we want to set a tone. I want the guys to play, as he put it, wide open. What was wide open about that offense in that game? There was nothing wide open about it. It was you, you hardly even knew that all three of those receivers were out there at one time. You would have, you would have thought they ended up with uh, what, 190 yards uh, receiving, 19 catches, yeah, and eight. I think it was 18 catches for 190 yeah. yards, no touchdowns. That's that's like 10 yards a catch. That's that's not impressive, you know. And I I wasn't expecting that you know to come out there and and everything's clicking on the first game. Of course, that's not going to happen. But I would have expected to see that they were causing so many problems for the Rams secondary that one of them would be open, right? I mean, they're going to have to double up somebody, aren't they? And, in, and instead, if you watch that game, and Jalen Ramsey is a really good cornerback, he also uh, – uh, it was a, a key play, and I'm trying to remember exactly when that was in the second half, where uh, Dak threw to Amari Cooper, Cooper, yeah, and he and he turned and uh, and Ramsey just made a, a crushing play. hit yeah. on him and knocked the ball loose. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the reasons why he's the most expensive cornerback in football. Uh, he he makes those kind of uh, game changing plays, and he and he makes those kind of game changing penalties apparently as well. Who who knew you were getting all that with Jalen Ramsey? Uh, but at any rate, I just felt like that there, you, you can't say that the numbers say I should do this now. Uh, and so that's my, that's my defense for this. It's like, what about all the other times when you're not paying attention to the numbers? Yeah. And that's, and to me, that's the, one of the points is, you know, that the analytics just of that situation in and of itself said that, okay, at that point, Dallas had a 46% chance to win. Uh, if you kick the field goal there, it would have gone down to a 45% chance to win. If you, if you go for the first down there and then score, then it goes up to 56% chance to win. Well, okay, if you, if you go down the analytics rabbit hole, you need to go all the way. You can't just stop there. Let's say they picked up the first. Well, with what they had done, now you look at the analytics, what had Dallas done in the red zone efficiency as far as scoring? 
now they're at the eight-yard line with the first and goal. How often do they score in that situation? How often do they score when they're with the backup right tackle and not your starting tight end? How, you know, what is their percentage of scoring when at that stage of the game, Dak Prescott is one of five for six yards on third down throws? Um, you have to take all of those into account as well, which changes the overall look. So uh, the analytics will give you the, the situational look, but it doesn't address the personnel uh, realities of the moment. So um, I think you have to be careful with making blanket analytic statements too, and just say, well, this is the percentage if they would have done that. So of course it made sense for him to go for it there. I don't think it was an of course. And again, you're talking about between 45 and 60, 56% anyway, that's not a conclusive edge. You know, that is like, okay, this is, you're, you're moving the needle potentially if you do it, but it's no assurance. So. The thing that's missing in that formula, okay? It was 46% entering fourth down. Forget about personnel and all that. It's 46% yeah. entering fourth down. They kick the field goal, it goes down to 45%. If they make the first down and score a touchdown, it goes up to 55%. What was the percentage, their chance to win, if they go for it and don't convert? That's the question I have. Because then it yeah. becomes the risk versus reward situation. You know, you're, you, you, if, if you don't make that's, – that's where coaches and manage things. They're risk averse. And if you don't make that – that first down there and you give up the ball, I am going to imagine that your win probability in that situation dropped well below 40%. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's to me, I feel like, and I, and, and I think, and I don't want to speak for Babe Loffenberg in this, in this instance, because he certainly speaks for himself, but I believe he has said that he told me one time that he never understood the, the reluctance to kick a field goal. Uh, it's like you're just piling up points. You you get an opportunity to put points on the board, and it's a question of that. You know, as you just said, if we don't get this first down, we don't get anything. We came all the way down here and got nothing out of it. Let's pile up points, right? You know, they're here. They're right in front of you. Take the points. Go on. You know, and, and that's – and to me also, you're on the road. I know there's no fans in the stadium, but it's still not as comfortable. You're playing in somebody else's stadium here. I think – I don't know how much the analytics – factor into that either i don't know when they when they're they plug all these numbers in do you account for the fact that you're in somebody else's stadium at that point you know right. I, I don't know so and then we do get into that point of the injured personnel right we do get into you don't have your tight end who is a big part of this is expected to be a big part of this offense that you don't have your a linebacker that you know you're you're a weaker team at that point in time so if you if you don't kick that field goal and don't make it, I think, I, again, you're just dropping your percentages that much more. And I'd much rather be sitting there with a 45% chance to win versus a uh, – because uh, there's no guarantee that I'm going to get that first down. There's just not. Well, no well, also, and also you look at it the other way. That's a guaranteed 45% chance. I mean, because you're going to make that field – I mean, you know, that there's the, – the chances of not making that field goal are minimal in, in that situation. So, I mean – uh, yeah, I, I understand it. And I think it's a good debate to have. And it, and again, it shows like, it's not just cut and dried. You can make a strong argument for going for it there. Um, 
but like you say, you have to play it all the way out, and it, and some of it's the play call there. So would it still be a good percentage if you just ran Elliott up the middle again on fourth and three? I mean, it, it also depends on your play call. Uh, there are so many things you can't take into account and never will. That's why you, you always have to meld the two in every single sport. I mean, it's to me, the argument is no longer do you do it or not do it. Of course you do it. But there's not, there's not just an absolute where you're an analytics guy or you're a, uh, a feel and, you know, in the moment guy and instinct guy. I mean, it's, it, it's to me, you're, you're just arguing on, on where you are in that spectrum and everyone is somewhere in that spectrum. And, and you have to be at different points at different times, you know. I would say, too, uh, that was – uh, you know, I know there were some people who were saying that, oh, that's a that was a you know an execution problem there, wasn't it? You know, listen, if CD Lamb had run the right route, if uh, Dak throws it a little bit better to him, uh, you know, then then they get the first down, and who knows, maybe maybe they get more than that. Uh, and and it was a great play uh, by an outstanding defensive play by the Rams saved. He had to fight his way through a lot of traffic, got there, made a great tackle. You know, uh, the, the one thing about CeeDee Lamb, he is very elusive runner, you know, in the open field. That's the thing that I love watching him in Oklahoma, and certainly the Texas players hated him because uh, he's running through them left and right. Not a very big guy, you know, uh, a little on the light side. And so, you know, when that safety came up and made the tackle on him, he went right down. There was, there was not much fighting through that. In that position, don't you really want to be throwing that to Amari Cooper? Uh, instead of C.D. Lamb, a bigger, a bigger wide receiver, a guy that that that's certainly very good after the catch, after contact. Amari uh, Cooper, I think that's one runs of his very best precise problems. routes. Yeah, one I mean, of the best route runners in the league. If, I, if I'm gonna, if I, if I'm putting the game on the line here, which I'm certainly doing, going for it on fourth and three here, I'm gonna throw it to my best wide receiver. I'm not gonna throw it to my third best and a rookie at that. And that goes in back to the analytics argument. What if it's the right play with the wrong player? Yeah. What does analytics say about that? And so, I mean, you know, it's uh, you always have to balance the two. I would I would also say this. Look, the analytics model. The the best way I can the, the best analogy I can use is the analytics model. You look at almost like you're playing blackjack. If you're going to play a system. You have to play every hand and all every, the way through. Yep. Right. Um. And so you can't selectively do this stuff. I would also say this. I, I, I think that football in-game analytics are still very much a, um, a work in progress. All analytics are a work in progress. But I need to know if, if the analytics models of the cowboy – first of all, I need to know if they consulted that analytics model before they made that decision, or if McCarthy had just made up his mind pregame, that's you know we're in that situation. We're going for it. Secondly, I, because of the personnel changes, I think you have to account for that. And if you're not, then you, you you've made a mistake in your analytics model, and you better address that for the next week going forward. Yeah. Uh, so David, let's let's talk about these. The player losses were phenomenal. To lose your starting middle linebacker for half the season, um, and then you lost your your starting tight end. And 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 look, um, well, Jason Witten, uh, you know, in his first game with uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders, 
one catch, one yard. I'm not really surprised by that. Jason Witten was a great tight end for a long time, but it was past time for the Cowboys to move on from, from him. Uh, and I think that Blake Jarwin showed last year he could be a, a real weapon for the Cowboys' offense. Uh, he runs well. He catches well. Uh, I don't know how much of a blocker he really is, but but it, it, I've always believed that that's a little bit overrated. Uh, I, I think if you've got a, a game-changer type uh, uh, receiver at tight end and he's, a, and he's just at least a, a nominal blocker, then that's good enough for me. And, and he was that. I, I, I saw Mike McCarthy say he thought that Dalton Schultz did a fine job in replacing Blake Jarwin. That's not what I saw when he was trying to catch the ball. Twice they kind of the same it. response was like Jalen Smith. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see that. And plus, he had a penalty that took a touchdown away uh, mm-hmm. with Elliott. Now, Elliott came back and scored again. He actually scored – Elliott actually scored twice in the final moments of the first half. But, uh, yeah, he, had, he took a touchdown away. He had another sidelines route. Um, and, you know, on that mesh route, too, with, um, with C.D. Lamb on fourth and three, he didn't appear to – get upfield enough to where lamb crossing had to maybe take a step back rather than run straight through at the sticks which is where he began his route initially so um yeah i, I don't know that, that, that this is going to be a drop i i i will say though if that they will miss jarwin i, I think He's not – he wasn't integral to the offense, but he's kind of like a fulcrum point. I mean, if you have him, I think the offense is much more efficient. Uh, you have another red zone threat. Uh, I think the thing about Jarwin they're really going to miss, and you didn't see Dallas do much of this in the game, Jarwin is their threat down the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they have much of a threat down the middle of the field anymore now, and, and that's going to allow defenses uh, to shade the outside and leave the middle open, and I don't know – I think Dallas needs to develop somebody there uh, to kind of to massage the defense to get the looks they want. He was going to be that guy. And, and you look at them in training camp, what they practice, Jarwin was always the guy in the middle doing stuff. You rarely saw other players. So they're going to miss that. All of that being said, you do have three outstanding receivers in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. They still have plenty enough offensive weapons to make this work. They can, they can compensate for this loss. They're just going to need to figure out how they use the tight ends that don't have the skill set that uh, Blake Jarwin had. And certainly Dalton Schultz and Blake Bell don't have that skill set. No, they don't. Uh, so what? Uh, so what goes? What happens going forward at, at linebacker? Uh, you know, they were already light at linebacker before they lost uh, Leighton Van Der Esch. Now they were down to four. I, I'm assuming that they're going to sign somebody. Or are they just going? Are they going to elevate one of the guys off the the practice squad? Right now, they're leaning internally. They would go uh, probably undrafted rookie free agent Francis Bernard from Utah State. That's the guy they'll probably bring up. I would assume. Uh, plug-in. It's going to be Joe Thomas, uh, you know, in the middle now. Um, or, or you flip and, and put Jalen back in the middle some, let him call the defense. But uh, uh, it's going to be primarily Joe Thomas and and uh, uh, Jalen Smith. And now you have two weeks until Sean Lee is available to come off IR. So two more games. So you'll at least have to go this way two games. And then uh, I think they're just saying, well, let's let's manage this position until then. And then we'll have Sean Lee back in the mix and then we'll feel a little bit better about where we are. 
Certainly, they'll be a lot better when Sean Lee comes back, if he comes back healthy and, and playing the way he can yeah. play. Uh, we, we've certainly seen him do that uh, many times over the years. You know, I, I'm really loath to do this kind of thing. Uh, I was talking to him, I'm a, our buddy uh, Barry Horn yesterday, and I, uh, he was asking me what I was writing about the Cowboys after the game. He said, well, I hope you're writing that uh, Leighton Vander Esch is just going to be another Sean Lee uh, because of the injuries that he's sustained so far. And I said, you know, I'm – that's so unscientific to me to say that this guy is going to be this guy because he has an injury. And he's had two different kinds of injuries. He's had this, he has spinal stenosis, which he had an operation for, uh, obviously, and he felt like everything was going well. When they still him, a content, that's still a congenital condition. He's going to have that for the remainder. You know, yeah. Sean Lee has not had a, a congenital condition. Uh, they've been different injuries and, and basically is playing beyond what his body can absorb. I mean, he's, he plays with a ferocity beyond what his stature can absorb. Uh, but he's never had uh, one condition like uh, cervical stenosis, which – uh, Leighton Vanderish has and is going to have to deal with the rest of his uh, rest of his life. It's not just his playing career. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but but I, when they were first working on him on the sideline, I thought, oh my gosh, he's hurt his neck again uh, yeah. because they were moving his head around and uh, that before they figured out it was a broken collarbone. Um, so so two different injuries. Uh, I, I'm you know it, it reminds me of what, what a an athletic trainer told me one time about when a guy has a dislocated shoulder, you, he said, that's one of the worst injuries you can have because it's just so hard to fix. Uh, and he said, you know, you can have a, a surgery. If it works, great. Is it, if it doesn't work, that means that there's never anything that's going to fix it. You're just going to learn to play with it, uh, which is a very difficult thing to do. So, uh, yeah, the, the spinal stenosis thing on, on uh, Leighton Vanderish is a, a very real deal. And I think if, if his career goes along and we realize, and, and the Cowboys certainly knew about it, is from, from what I understand, when they drafted him, that other teams knew about it as well. It's one of the reasons why he, he lasted until, I guess, the 19th pick uh, was because of that. Um, then that was then that's going to end up being a bad decision then. I know he had a, he had a great rookie season. Uh, but he didn't look great last year before he got hurt. And, uh, and now, uh, as, as I was saying earlier, he got hurt pretty early in this game. It's kind of hard to tell how well he was going to play. But it didn't start out well, for, for sure. Uh, what we saw in the early stages of that game, pretty much from the very beginning, as soon as the, 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 the Rams' first snap, was that where's the defense? You know, because no one's close to anybody, whether they're handing off to him, whether they're throwing a screen pass to him, whether they're throwing in the – Throwing an out pattern, there's nobody close to anybody. So this defense has got a ways to go, and I and I guess we uh, and we do not feel, from what I understand and what I read this morning, that uh, that Jerry Jones is going to make any investment uh, anywhere as a free agent this season to try to plug any of these holes. Not at the moment. I mean, if the defense t- deteriorates, I mean, they will. They have the room to do it. Um, now, any. Any signings they make this year will cut into their cap next year and their ability to sign Dak to a long-term deal. But uh, that's where they put themselves by being unable to reach a long-term agreement with Dak to this point. So uh, that's just a financial reality for them going forward. So they're not going to do anything this week, but uh, this is still something to be monitored. Now, the the other point is, like, I mean, there aren't a lot of quality free agents on the street right now. I mean, if you're going to get a really upgraded position by and large, you're going to have to do it by trade and uh, wouldn't rule that out either. But again, that's, that's not optimum at this stage. 
No. All right. One last thing before we get off the Cowboys, we want to talk a little bit about the Rangers uh, is um, we didn't talk about Dak, you know, so first game out of the box, uh, a lot of, a lot of pressure on, on Dak. Uh, he's been the focus of a lot of attention this offseason, not only because of his contract, but because of the, uh, the death of his brother uh, by suicide. Uh, and he also talked about how he suffered from depression based on what it, uh, just the, the actual pandemic and everything that involved with that. Uh, I thought it was very brave of him to come forward and talk about those kinds of issues. I think it's a, I, I'm always been a believer in, in people talking about these kind of things that if they're having, if they're having problems and nothing's, nothing's ever solved by the strong stoic silent type. All that does is just bubble inside and cause problems. And you're not a, you're not a good example for anybody else who, who suffers from the same thing. Uh, so a lot of, uh, uh, in, close inspection of Dak going into this season and in his first game out of the box. I didn't think it was a bad game. I didn't think it was a good game. I, I thought he, he played very average. Uh, I thought there were times when he looked really good. As I said, I think he's really effective in a two-minute offense uh, I, most of the time. Not, not the end of the game, was he? But, uh, but most of the time he is. Um, I thought uh, when he went downfield, he was very accurate. He, he showed that last year that his numbers throwing the ball downfield were much improved. I think that was the, the one statistic that got a little bit ignored, especially by the fan base, which always felt like, oh, he's not accurate enough. Well, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the game last year throwing downfield. Uh, and yet the Cowboys didn't do that. They didn't challenge the Rams. Uh, but then there's the inexplicable throws, as, as I noted earlier, on the little drag routes where he's throwing it at guys' knees. You know, he's throwing it at their feet. I mean, it's like he's – Give it, you know, he has to get his fundamentals right. He's not, he's not, he doesn't have the kind of arm talent that Patrick Mahomes has who can throw a ball three quarters sidearmed any way he wants off his back foot. He can throw it any way he wants to, and that ball's coming off his hand beautifully. Uh, that's not the case with Dak Prescott. He has to follow all those kind of things and do all the things the right way. And uh, that was disappointing to see him throw like that occasionally. Yeah, you know, and that's what, uh, Dak is so polarizing, and, and, and I guess I understand it. Because, because, I mean, what you just described, I mean, that's who he is as a quarterback. We've seen him for four years now. I, I think we know that's him. And, uh, you know, it's just – I would say Tom Brady was in that position too. He was a seventh-round pick. Dak was a fourth-round pick. It's all about their mechanics and having to be just in the right position because they don't have the arm strength or they don't have the – uh, other abilities that higher draft picks have to compensate for a lack of perfect positioning in situations or, or the ability to read and, and know where to go. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, does he have to have everything right for him to be at his best more so than a Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson or a Kyler Murray? Yeah, because he doesn't have the sheer talent they do. But that doesn't mean he can't be every bit as efficient or more efficient in a game. And that's, that's who Dak is. And um, yeah, I agree. I mean, this, I, I think what you saw was a middle of the road game for Dak. It was, um, he didn't beat you, but he could have done more to help you win that he didn't. Um, and, you know, it's, but, but I will say for, a quarterback who didn't take part in an off-season program with a new head coach and no preseason games, 
I thought he looked pretty comfortable in this offense and what they were doing. Uh, it's relative. So is it as good as you would have liked? No. But when you consider, uh, when you consider the offseason, when you consider he wasn't part of the offseason program, uh, when you consider the changes in the offense, uh, I, I, th- I thought it was – when you judge it from that perspective, I think you go, oh, it wasn't a bad performance, but it wasn't good enough to win the game. Yeah, and and the problem with that is when you lose by three points, you think, well, if he'd played really well, they would have won sure. that game. And, and at that position, you have to win games. It's yeah. not just enough not to lose games. They're not talented enough defensively where Dak can go out and just not lose games. He's going to have to win games for them. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do that enough last year, and uh, uh, he had a chance to do it in this game and did not. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Evan, let's let's talk about – let's get right here in your old wheelhouse here. Let's talk about these Rangers. They're on their way. Uh, they they split uh, uh, four games with the uh, with Oakland, one of the best teams in ball, uh, made them look silly a couple of times, really got out there. This team is turning it around, isn't it? This team is shooting itself in the foot, Kevin. They should not win another game all year. <laughs> and why is that, Evan? Tell us why. Look, I mean, the bottom line is there's nothing – uh, <laughs> there's nothing good that can come from the Rangers winning this year except for a feel-good feeling for some young players. And that's there's some significance in that. But this team needs the best possible draft pick it can get next year. And quite frankly, um, they're just not getting it done. Pittsburgh has a two-and-a-half game lead on them for the worst record in, in the majors. Uh, and as we sit here today, the Rangers, uh, thanks to their, their split with Oakland, have the fourth worst winning percentage, which would give them the fourth pick overall. And let's just um, let's just say this, right? We've, we've seen this team in this situation before in 2014, and they won a couple games late, and that pushed them from having the second worst overall record to the fourth worst overall record. And the difference was between Houston selecting Alex Bregman and the Rangers taking Dylan Tate. Woo. That was bad, Evan. I I mean, I'm not sitting here trying to say this team should go out trying to lose, but I I think there is some value right now in playing all these young kids, just letting them see what it's like to get out there in games. And with 12 days left in this ridiculous season – uh, I would not have a problem if the Rangers ended up losing all 12 of those games. They need to lose all 12 of them. They need to – because the uh, – as, as you and I have discussed before, the the probable first two picks of the draft will be a couple of Vanderbilt pitchers, uh, Kumar Rocker um, and uh, Jack Leiter. Uh, Kumar Rocker, a couple of uh, uh, legacy guys – Kumar Rocker, the son of Tracy Rocker, uh, Outland Trophy winner, Lombardi Trophy winner at Auburn, went on and played in the NFL, is now an offensive line coach at South Carolina. And Jack Leiter, the son of Al Leiter, a longtime pitcher in the big leagues, very effective pitcher as well. Um, Both of those guys, very accomplished, polished uh, prospects. uh, And uh, uh, Kumar Rocker, a a very large individual, 6'5", 255 pounds, uh, and, and yet a guy that big, also pretty polished uh, prospect. You know, there are no sure things in, in the draft, and there are no, surely no sure things among pitchers. But 
from what I can tell, from what I've seen, uh, I've, uh, I've seen him pitch. Uh, you know, the thing, thing that scouts love about a big frame is that these guys are less likely to break down uh, over the long haul than, than guys with a smaller frame. And they don't come much bigger than 6'5", 255 pounds. Um, this, this is imperative on the Rangers to, to get in this position. And then this is also as an indictment of the fact that they did not trade Lance Lynn uh, at the deadline because uh, Lance Lynn is still pitching like he did before then, uh, still being very effective. Every time he goes out there, you expect him to win uh, or at least keep you in the running to win. Um, it would have been better not to, to pick those up. I'd hate to think that the, that the Rangers missed one of these two guys. Um, and, and look, may, maybe the third pick, it, it, we don't know how that turns out. I'm just saying that, that you're, you increase your chances with every game you lose of getting a better prospect. And these guys are certainly uh, – I, I, don't, I don't know who number three is. I know those are, the, are, are probably one and two. The shortstop from UCLA, um, there's uh, an outfielder from Florida. But, yeah, I mean, these two are considered the top prospects going in. But, look, Kevin, this, this draft is also going to – the 21 draft is going to be really unusual in the – these guys basically didn't have a 2020 season. Who knows what they're going to have of a 2021 season. There may be a, uh, essentially two years that go by between Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter uh, really facing competitive hitters. Hopefully there will be a college baseball season come this, this, this winter and spring. But I think we're all up in the air on some of that right now. Um, and as we know, you know, performances and health and all of that can – certainly dictate where where guys end up falling but I've been a, I've been a Kumar Rocker fan since I saw some video of him in high school um, uh, the fact that he has gone into the Vanderbilt program and competed at an extremely high level there I think puts him on a fast track to the big leagues um, uh, having covered Al Leiter you know I know the the kind of background that Jack comes from and I don't put, I, I don't take that lightly. So I, I think both of those guys are, are guys that you could look at as, as, as guys who would move quickly in this team. This team's not going to be good in 21. John Daniels said yesterday on, um, on his radio show that team's going to be young in 2021 and intentionally so, which is another way of saying we're going to stink. Um, I, I think, uh, the best hope is that this team can start to move move again in 2022, uh, which probably means two things. The next year being a losing season will be the fifth consecutive losing season, and the Rangers have never had five straight losing seasons. So it's really going to uh, test the, um, the enfranchisement of, of fans. Secondly, uh, there's no guarantee that by 22 this team will be good. But I think the hope would be you get one of these two advanced pitchers and then after 2021, you really invest in a big-time shortstop in Lindor or Baez or Trevor Story because those guys are all going to be in free agency at that point. That's, that's the best strategy I can come up with for the Rangers at this point. So, well, first of all, you, you make this big campaign for Nolan Arenado, and now you've given up third base. Now you're moving over to shortstop and trying to, uh, to pick off one of those guys. They didn't get Nolan Arenado this winter. They didn't. They didn't get him during the uh, run up to the season, uh, and this season imploded on him. So yeah, things change, Kevin. 
I don't, <laughs> I don't hold you to the high standards that I did 30 years ago. You're, you, you, you've fallen off your mark. You're, you're much slower. Um, most of your words are one syllable at this point. So the same, the same kind of holds true for Nolan Arenado. <laughs> Monosyllabic. I like it. Uh, yeah. Here, here's the thing for me and in this, uh, in this Rangers team we, we're looking at, um, we've talked a lot about, uh, personnel this year and about how guys have underperformed, certainly Elvis Andrus and Ruggie Lador, uh, two prime examples of that. Uh, but if you look across this team, there are very few success stories. You know, Isaiah Kainafalefa has been phenomenal this year. Uh, he's he's hit and he's fielded his position, whether he's played third base or shortstop. I really don't, even though he's hitting over 300, I don't really think you can afford to play him at third base unless you have a big-time shortstop. It's well, kind of I like mean, that. I mean, I think your hope would be that this guy, look, this guy's, OPS this year, and granted, again, it's only 45 games at this point, but his OPS has jumped above 750. So he's a, an above average offensive player at this point. And I think the Rangers believe there is a little bit more growth at this point that can be extracted out of him. And could he be an 800 guy? Maybe. Um, and, and if he's an 800 guy at third base and you've got uh, a outstanding shortstop, you can that's a very good left side of the infield uh you're in good shape um i think right now the most likely scenario for the rangers is that you're not going to be able to move El Evan elvin elvis andrus you're probably going to have to walk away from rugnet odor and so for next year you go back into it with elvis at, having a chance to win a shortstop job kiner falefa at third base and then you adjust going into 2022 yeah. At some point, too, we're going to have to discuss uh, whether this message is getting through uh, from the from the coaching staff and the manager. Uh, it's been in a, a year. Uh, it's well, I don't know if we can count this as a real season, but it's been uh, two seasons in and we're not seeing a lot of success here. Uh, and so I, I think this is one of the reasons why they uh, you, when you lose, you got to go young anyway. That's just the way it is. But it really uh, it really is good for this coaching staff because I don't think the veterans are buying in. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's just, it's too much of a coincidence that everybody is hitting under 200. You know, I, this stuff, kind of stuff doesn't happen. They're hitting 218 as a team. Uh, the, the, you know, you can either say the guys aren't good enough or they're not buying the message. And one of the reasons why the uh, Jeff Bannister is no longer the manager is because the message wasn't getting through. So at, at, at some point here, Chris Woodward's going to have to have some, uh, some results. He's going to have to – we're going to have to see next year that these young guys that they're bringing up are going to play and play well. Now, they've, they've played well so far. It's a bit, been a very small sample size, and it's been promising to see how some of these guys have played. We'll see how that, that, that does going forward. All right, well, we've been on this for a long time. Seems like like two or three days. We made up for all the times we didn't have uh, a podcast. Uh, we, we've done it all just in this one single podcast. This was like a, what, like a four or five hour podcast. Is that what yeah. it, it seemed like that to the listener? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and Jose fell asleep on us. Jose, this is really the end of it, we promise. Uh, so, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.